you go through a painful traumatic experience, there was something there for you to give to the world. Within three years of release, two out of three ex-offenders are rearrested. Clearly, something is broken. It's time we strategize ways to prevent repeat offenses. Our brainstorming session starts now. Welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon. Hello, and welcome to A Prisoner's Pardon Podcast. I'm your host, Michi J. Today, we are finishing up my conversation with Sonny Von Cleveland. In his interview, he talked about how many men go to prison just because they're sexually abused. I don't know if you've heard that before, but I never even thought about that. Well, let's continue that conversation so we can hear more. But first, a word from our sponsor. The 21-Day Pardon Challenge just ended yesterday. Did you get a chance to participate? Well, I hope you did. But if not, we will be hosting it again in the coming months. To be included on this, please sign up at prisonerspardon.com slash pardon challenge. That's prisonerspardon.com slash pardon challenge. So do you recommend like a way to talk to children, adults and stuff, this sort of a message to when you see these this anger and they can't explain it and perhaps starting to talk along these lines of something bad or something you feel is bad is bad, but you can take this and make it good because it gives them something to do with it. Sure. Give them something to do with it and to make it better for someone else is, you know, and I like how what you said, not giving attention to the um, the predators and stuff, um, but utilizing that special quality about you that now what, what can you do with this? Challenging them, what can you do with what, what's happened to you to make it good? My challenge again would be to to get somebody to understand there's teaching teaching or tolerating. Those are the, the two things that we're here to do. If, if I'm not going to be a teacher, then I'm going to be tolerant of everybody else. And, and if you look at back through history, most of the great teachers are the people that experienced some of the worst trauma. You know, mm-hmm. the Nelson Mandela's of the world, the Malcolm X's, the MLK's, the, the Victor Frankl's, the Oprah Winfrey's. They experienced just monumental trauma and mm-hmm. taught from that platform. Right. And so I would say to anybody that, that is currently uh, in stuck in that rut of getting into trouble and, and breaking the law or constantly recidivism in and out of prison, that yeah. you, your story is special. What you're going through, what you're experiencing is the blueprint for the success story of your life. That's good. You don't, you don't have to continue the trauma. You can stop at any moment. You can make the decision to use what you've been through in your life to help teach somebody else. And we are designed to have an endorphin release when we give. If you've ever given somebody something, you know the good feeling that you feel. If you give uh, a homeless person a couple dollars, or if you take food to a homeless person, or you do a clothing drive, or you do any type of charitable act, there's a good feeling inside of you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because we are neurologically designed to give. 
Mm-hmm. So when we when we can take somebody who's been through a, a traumatic circumstances or is in trouble in and out of the law, and we can teach them the the beauty of giving, and and only thing we're giving is our story, our experience of what we've been through. It develops them, it, re- it reaches them. I think it, it 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 touches a part of them that they didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and I think that's the most profound impact on some that we can we can employ upon other people to help snap them out of the rut that they're in. If you have like a victim mentality, is not. So you tell me, what do you think? That's not a person that usually give. No, no, a victim mentality is is all about taking. At the end of the day, uh, and it's such a fine line to go on because with cancel culture and all these other organizations that are just uh, are hell bent on destroying other people, mm-hmm. you can't say certain things because it offends certain people. But being a victim is becoming a victim is not a choice. Staying a victim is a choice. Continue like to be a victim is a choice. I could mm-hmm. sit here and just be salty and, and depressed and, and sad about the things that happened to me 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. But what does that solve? That solves nothing. It doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help anything. So being a victim is a choice. Staying a victim is a choice. Anybody mm-hmm. can be victimized and it's not your choice. Right. But staying a victim is a choice. And, and that's, and that's deep. What you just said, so you deep. know, stand a victim. Right. It's a choice. It, it's sad that it happened. Mm-hmm. It's bad that it happened. It's not fair that it happened, but it happened and mm-hmm. you can't change it. If I take this cup and I throw it across the room right now, mm-hmm. I can't change that. <laughs> I right. can learn lessons from it, but I can't change it. It doesn't change the fact that it happened 10 years from now. I can look back. I was <laughs> on a podcast with Mickey J and I threw a cup across the room. <laughs> it always will be there. But we don't have to sulk on the fact that it happened. It doesn't matter why it happened. And I think that's the biggest thing that victims, when, when we go through our, our victimization, we want to know why. That's the biggest question. Why, why me? Why me? You go, that why me? I'm telling you. <laughs> and the answer to that is is. Basically, it didn't happen to you. It happened for you. It happened so that you would be in a position that you can teach somebody else because you're still alive. And while it's unfair and it's un- it's traumatic and it's sad and it hurts, it only hurts if you allow it to continue to hurt. It's only real if you tell yourself it's still happening because it's not. The fact is, most people that are victimized don't get victimized again. Mm-hmm. Statistically speaking, most people don't get victimized twice. It doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you realize that and you face that, you're okay. Mm-hmm. It, 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 we're not minimizing anything that has happened yeah. to anybody. No. But we're saying not. that yeah. you are okay now. You can stand up. You can breathe. You can walk. You can talk. You're mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So you have the choice of either allowing the memory of what happened to ruin the rest of your life. And that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Or you can take it. And to empower the rest of your life and save and help other people, which Mm -hmm. is such a fulfilling thing. And had my victimization not happened, I wouldn't be in the position to have the most fulfilling and amazing gift of serving the rest of the world. I like how you say it's serving and and giving. And we need to have more of that type of a, a mentality here instead of taking and, you know, 
I uh, woe is me, you know. Yes, it. Right. I like what you said. Yes, one of my happened. favorite one of my favorite things uh-huh. is everybody, a lot of people say I came into this world alone and I'm gonna leave this world alone. That's not exactly true because there was at least two other people that were <laughs> in you coming into the world. And do you think you're gonna put yourself in your own coffin and bury yourself when you're no, gone? We're all no. we all need oh, relationships, right? And yeah. we are all born for the sake of each other. Teach or tolerate, folks. That's right. I like that. Teach or tolerate. You give. Don't stay a victim because that that's a choice. A choice. You know, don't be no why me. <laughs> Right. It's a choice. It's not it's not to you, but for you to change. What can you you know, what can you use this for? I like that. Definitely. I need to get a T-shirt with that. OK, but that that is some good stuff where we can find a way how to, you know, put those points with children as well as adults and have them doing stuff like that and not trying to to stay in that mindset. But I do see, you know, things around us and um, advertisements and just advocate victims and want them to stay in the victim um, mentality. Well, sure. I I think that that's because the sympathy from other people is, is uh, it mimics the same endorphins as, as elation. Right. So when somebody, when somebody feels bad for me, I put out a, a sappy Facebook post how sad and depressed I am, and, and I get fifteen hearts and little carry emojis. You better stop! You better people. stop offending some right. people right now, Sonny. You offended some that people, people right? Right when they when they say, "Oh man, I'm so so sorry this happened to you," it's a feeling of validation, right? So oh. we feel like we're validated, like somebody recognizes that I've been hurt and that I'm, and so it's an intoxicating feeling because it mimics the endorphin that uh, elation, joy, and ecstasy give, right? So when we, when, when they get a taste of the feeling you get, when you inspire somebody, when you, when you tell your story and you see somebody's eyes start to well up with tears because you've touched them, that's authentic endorphin. That's an authentic ecstasy. That's a fulfilling feeling that trumps sympathy. I don't need anybody's sympathy for what happened to me. Right. I, I want you to learn and grow from what happened to me and know that you will be okay too. Wow. You, know? you just t- touched upon something because I think of people, you know, you may take a prescription for something, but you got to um, sure. be careful of it or you can become addicted to it. Well, they're people, trying to numb the pain that they can that they can fulfill just by being authentic. So, would you would you think some people are probably addicted to um, sympathy? <laughs> so bad, <laughs> so badly. That, there, there is a massive, massive culture of feel sorry for me of. of people that that feel like they're entitled to something that because. I was a victim. Mm-hmm. I should have everything in life given to me on a platter. I should have government assistance handed to me. I should be able to have my home paid for, my food paid for, my car. Everything should be paid for for me, and the world should feel sorry for me because I was a victim. Wow. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. 
Because ninety nine point there's seven billion people on this planet, and you can't six, sustain that. <laughs> six point nine billion people don't give a shit what happened to you Uh-oh, because we, we all have out. a bad life. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I'll bleep that out. But anyway, but, <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. The majority of people have their own trauma that they're going through in life. They have their own stuff they're going through. They don't. They, they don't have time to care about what happened to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. People do get addicted to sympathy because it makes you feel relevant. It makes you feel validated when somebody else says, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Oh, wow. But that's interesting. Um, You know, addicted to sympathy. And you can. um, It's a bad drug. That's a bad drug. That's what. Uh, we didn't we didn't found another drug over here, right. you know, and it's ruining our society. And totally. I like what you're saying is like, especially within my culture, I do see a lot of that. And it's it's detrimental and it keeps them stuck. Keep us stuck, you know, if we stuck. allow if we allow that. So and it gives it's empowering to the other people that's doing it. And they they're getting something out of it, too, because it's easy a lot to throw money at things instead of your time and actually doing the work of um, helping the people with your time and your uh, trust and things they can physically help with. um, And it's this stuff we just need to address. So we're constantly submersed with this in, in our social media culture that materials somehow bring about you know your happiness and success, huh? And, and it's it's not success is not measured by your bank account or your material possessions. Success is measured by your happiness. Right. You know, you have eighty percent of all lottery winners file bankruptcy within five years. Okay. Uh, because mm-hmm. you, you have not. They tell your, that story. They don't you haven't that. put yourself <laughs> in a position to to handle that type of wealth because you're not wealthy inside. You know, you're not. You, you, I've always, you know, I, it's not been an easy path for me in the in the six years that I've been out. Uh, but I've always said that I'm, I'm broke as hell and rich as f, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I, I am. I'm so wealthy in here because I'm so happy in my life. Because there's, it's we only get one run, right? You get one run around this globe, and every day you get to breathe is beautiful. And it doesn't even matter where you're at. I found happiness and joy incarcerated. I found joy in, in Good point. Teaching, teaching other men how to overcome their anger. And I still have a group of about seven or eight individuals that I did time with that are all out now. They're successful people. I've helped mentor them to a successful life. Uh, and it's it's not about where you are. It's about wow. how you think. And, and you know, I know like Mallory Bay was a, a lifetimer. He was serving natural life in prison and had no reason to help this angry young white kid. Uh, but he did mm-hmm. because that's where he gets his fulfillment because we find so much more fulfillment in giving. And, wow. And it's, it's inspirational. That's good. And, you know, I, I would love to thank Mallory. That was great of him to reach out and help you process your anger, asking you the question, why are you so angry? What are you passionate about? And There's I de- exactly, questions in the world too, right? Like, you know what? I asked my brother that, you know, and um, like I had told you, he's been in and out of prison since we were young. And I finally asked him, I was like, what do you want to do? What do you like doing? He couldn't even answer me. Right. You know, 
Should so, I ask uh, him about sexual abuse or something? I didn't even think of that until. Oh. And sure. <laughs> and, and, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with straightforward, authentic asking. Hey, man, mm-hmm. have you ever like experienced sexual molestation? Yeah. Worst he's going to do is say, hell no. <laughs> right. Okay, well, I just had to ask. You know? Yeah, just but, ask. You might, but you might crack into something. You'd be like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, yeah. And then that could open the floodgates to changing somebody's life. Right. Just by asking the question. And we shouldn't be afraid to ask a question. I didn't even think of that till now, just talking to you. You know, again, it's like we don't understand the nature of the problem at times when we see, uh, you know, them reoffending over and over and over again. And then their mindset being at whatever age they went in, that's the age they're going to be when they come out, you know. Yeah. And it becomes comfortable, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I remember going through that phase when I went back to prison here, I was 23 years old going back to prison for the second time. And had you asked me five days prior to that, you want to go back to prison? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to go back to prison. Uh And yet everything I was doing in my life was working exactly towards that goal of going back to prison. So. Yeah. So do you know that um, in all most doctor's offices now, like your personal doctors are asking those questions. Do you feel safe at home? Or, right. you know, so we should be asking our loved ones and especially ones that's going like, have you been sexually abused? Do you feel safe? Those is, you know, why aren't we asking those questions? Right. Nobody's going to say it to a doctor. Nobody's yeah. going to it to a doctor's ever met. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, We're you, trained not to say anything outside right. the house. Right. You know, you, don't you, you tell. You to <laughs> people you care about, your children, your siblings, your parents. Mm-hmm. Ask, just ask the question. It, and it never hurts to just ask the question. And you can even ask them uh, in a roundabout way. Uh, you roundabout know, what, are, what are they passionate about in life? Okay. You know? You know, just say, just for historical context, uh, what's the angriest you've ever been? What's hurt you the most in your life? I just want to know because I'm on on an exploration journey. Anything, you know, asking questions is always a great thing. And there's always a reason to ask a question. So, you know, it wants to be, you want to approach it, not from a uh, accusatory standpoint. Like, hey, have you ever been molested? (laughs) You know. Because that puts them on the defensive, but I'm doing a, a, a study into uh, the effects of molestation on people's behavior in adulthood. And and I'm wondering if you have, because one in six boys have been molested, I'm wondering if you've ever experienced something like that. And mm-hmm. most often or not, it, they'll open up to you if it's a family member or something, because you've, you've created uh, an atmosphere of trust and they feel, you know, trusting uh, enough to talk about. So. You know, especially trust and love and knowing that you love them anyway, it's not you because definitely a person, you know, you're telling me in your own mind, so you didn't feel worthy of love. Facts. Wow. Facts. You, you, you develop uh, a mindset that I'm only good for this one thing. I'm only good for this as, a, as this, yeah. and which ultimately what leads to being bullied in school and, and having a bad childhood where you have no friends and you live in an isolated existence because I, I develop my self-worth is based upon the sexual appetite of men. 
You know, like if if I'm not being molested or I'm not being touched, then what good am I? Because nobody wants me for anything else. So, you know, you, you start yeah. to attach your self-worth to, to what's happening. Wrong. And That's can, wrong. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's very wrong. And it's, it's, uh, it can be a very traumatic path. And But I like this conversation. I like that um, we can have this conversation and we should be having these conversations within our family because there's a lot of, you know, pedophilia and you know just sexual abuse in the in the home and you want to fight you want to see people's ears perk up the next time you're in a room with 10 men stand up and say did you know one in six boys are molested and like i'm like <laughs> no that means at least one of you in this room has either done it or experienced it done it or experienced it. right oh. and you'll see and you'll you can tell a lot of times by the way that people respond you know what I mean? Body language. I like that. Big, body language. Watch body the language body language. Big thing. You know, we used to do these classes called Thinking for a Change when I was in the uh, in prison. And it was one of the classes that I was teaching. And that's one of the things I would talk about. Because there's 20 men in this classroom. Did you know that one in six, one in six men are molested? And just look and just watch. You'll see them. Heads down, hands up. They start twittering. This is a defense mechanism. Okay, for you all can't see him. He's going through these motions. He put his hands up over his face, you know. Wow. Putting your hand in front of your face or laughing or coughing like, (laughs) (laughs) or just doing something like this, you know, rubbing your face, turning away, making a joke, leaning over and laughing at somebody else. That was you, wasn't it? (laughs) Wow. Something like that is them unconsciously drawing attention to themselves to say, Hey, I was a victim, but I don't have the courage to say it. So wow. their, their body is subconsciously giving them up. It's That's the what I wanted. Sonny. Right. This is what I wanted from you. <laughs> Information like that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. A lot that's, of those signs are there. You know, uh, deep. Napoleon was famous for finding his, uh, the, the defectors and traitors that were within him by pulling out his pistol and just randomly shooting it in the air. And everybody that would Ryan. duck or run, mm-hmm. you have something to hide because why else would I shoot you? Because the body has an involuntary response to a truth that you speak that he wasn't prepared for. He or she is not prepared to hear. They weren't ready for it. So everybody's laughing and joking. Ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> hey, who in here has been molested? <laughs> wow. Their body will subconsciously just give it away. That is a wealth. I should just drop the mic right there because that was it right there for me. We got this. Listeners, do you all hear this? This is gold right here, what Sonny just said. This is gold. Just watch that body language. Because I've seen, you know, where, you know, on TV, like right now, what's going on with the Soviet Union, and they're trying to figure out what, um, you know, that Gorbachev, is that him? You know, what he's doing? You Putin. know, and they had Putin. No, I'm, oh, really? I'm just really backwards here. But Putin, Putin. was in the nineties. Yeah, I'm just really <laughs> thinking about. I'm like lost. Sorry, guys and girls. But Putin, you know, and just watching body language is because you're not close enough, and they can tell like if he's sick and what's going on. And we can use that sort of techniques too to know what's going on with family members. Yeah. And ask these deep questions, even with people that's going through. Any kind of abuse, you know. It's worth it to educate yourself to find out 
uh, what's going on with your family. There's a great book called What Everybody Is Saying. Uh, and it's oh, who was that by? Uh, I can't remember. I think Joe, I want to say Joe Barto or something. I don't remember. It's a former FBI interrogator uh, who wrote the book, What Everybody Is Saying. And it's about body language. It's about the way that we can send out subconscious signals to elicit subconscious responses from people uh, to do, so that they'll tell on themselves. The body will tell on itself. Uh, if a body person, will uh, tell on itself. Absolutely. Hmm. That's where poker players uh, become geniuses and how they. they really? They, yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. Body language is so huge. And it's fun fact about that. That's why a lot of poker players wear sunglasses. It's not so you can't see their eyes. It's so that you can't see what they're watching. Wow. Okay. Because they're watching you. Wow. <laughs> this is this is this is some good stuff, Sonny. I really am enjoying this. Is there a way? I know you say that you um you mentor some men now, you said? I do. I okay. Do. Is there uh, a way that someone that may not live in your area can be mentored or uh, you, like- you can absolutely reach out to me. It's Sonny Von Cleveland anywhere. You can uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, wherever you can look me up any way you can send me a message, send it to me. I'm an open book. I respond. Uh, and I'm always there to help somebody who needs it. Right. Okay. Well, listeners, I know that you have enjoyed this as much as I have. And, you know, with Sonny and these great tips that he's given, you know, to help family members, um, to help even church members to understand what to look for, um, the body language, ask those questions, make it a safe place for them um, to be able to talk to you. And it's going on more than we think, right, Sonny? You oh, know, so this sexual one, one in six boys, one in three girls. Wow, this is amazing. Well, right now we're done with the interview, and I know you all have enjoyed Sonny as much as I I have. Absolutely. And sorry, and sorry, it's potent. Sorry, you guys. I'm just mixing this <laughs> up. But great, great time here. But thank you so much. And we will talk to you again because you you have too much information to give. Something to do. Always, um, always down. Okay. Thank you so much for having. Me. Thank you. Well, that's the end of our amazing interview with Sonny Von Cleveland. Did you learn as much as I did about what to look for when we're trying to see if someone has been sexually abused? A lot of men try to hide this, but. Sonny, he gave us some good pointers. Well, here are my takeaways from my chat with Sonny Von Cleveland. Number one, people need to be trained to look for sexual abuse in juveniles entering the system. This pain comes out in poor behavior, as evidenced by Sonny. Number two, defense attorneys often work with the prosecutors to the detriment of their client. The experience of most is that they're not advocates. We possibly need to look into having outside advocates to help people navigate the system. Number three, reentry programs need to incorporate something to help the men and women leaving prisons, to help them with that institutionalized mindset. A lot of them are still in prison in the mind. We need to really do something about that. Well, 
that's my takeaways. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Until next time, I'm Michi J, wishing you a week filled with blessings. Thanks for tuning in to the show. For more information on our guests and resources, visit prisonerspardon.com. If you're enjoying the content, follow, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until next time, God bless.